Amen. Is that good news to you this morning? I tell you, it is great news to know that I have been set free, not by what I've done, but what Jesus did for me. Do you believe that this morning? Say amen. amen. I tell you, what is, that is great news. Um, today, we're going to end a series called Defining Moments, where we look at some pretty powerful moments throughout the last several weeks. And today, we're going to kind of wrap that up, because as you think about, you know, as you think about all that we've talked about, all that we've discussed, there's one thing I hope you walk away with the last seven weeks is this basic truth. We all have moments in life. You've heard me say it every week. We all have moments. But it's how we respond to those moments that shape and define the trajectory of our lives. Amen? Now, you can look back over the course of your life and look at moments where you responded with lack of faith and how it shaped and defined much of your life. Or you can look back over moments and see how you exhibit a lot of faith and how that shaped and defined much of your life. The point is this. We all have those moments. But how we respond, whether it was faith or lack of faith, is going to shape and define the trajectory of our lives. And last week, Pastor Merce was here and did a great job talking about a powerful moment. Because one thing I know about all of us in the room, we've all been hurt by somebody, right? We've all been hurt by somebody. And we'll wrestle with, how do I respond when somebody has offended me? How do I respond when someone has hurt me? And I'm not talking about getting cut off at the McDonald's drive-thru line. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when you've truly, not, that would hurt my feelings if they did that, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when someone really hurts you. How do you respond? And last week, Pastor went through and we began to walk through the words of Jesus, and it was this, that the way we're to respond is to confront the person with a goal to reconcile, right? We're to go to that person, confront them with the heart of reconciliation. Now, many of you go, okay, Doug, I hear you. I know that's what Jesus said, but you just don't know how bad I've been hurt. You don't know what they said. You don't know what they did to me, Doug. Well, at the end of the day, I don't know, but he does. And the words of Jesus aren't just words that are relevant for the time. The truths that Jesus taught transcend everything. It's relevant in all circumstances. And so despite how bad you've been hurt, despite what they've said, what they've done to you, we're still to go to that person, confront them with the goal of reconciliation. And I know it's hard. Isn't it hard? Come on, is that hard to do that? Because most of us in the room will avoid conflict at all costs. And we wrestle with that. But here's the thing to stake. If we don't respond the way Jesus told us to respond, it's going to shape and define our lives, Right? In fact, some of you, if you were to look at your life and look back over the, the history of your life and moments when there was conflict, somebody hurt you, and you didn't go, you didn't confront them, you didn't try to reconcile with them, you just wrote them off. Or maybe you didn't write them off, you just ignore them altogether. And you can look back at the course of your life and see that maybe you have a root of bitterness and anger that's deep within you. And it always seems to pop up at the most inopportune times. Why? Because maybe way back when, you didn't do what Jesus said and it shaped and defined a large portion of your life. Or maybe you're able to look back in the moments in your life and when someone did something to you that you went to them, as painful as it was, you went to them out of grace and compassion and humility and you went with the heart to reconcile. And while it was difficult, you reconciled that relationship and now you look back and the, the way you look at life now is different because you've been impacted in a positive and a godly way. The point is this, how you respond to that, whether you go or don't go to your brother or sister that's offended you, is going to shape and has shaped and defined much of our lives. Now, today we're going to look at a passage that is the perfect follow-up to what Jesus talked about last week. Now, it's perfect, obviously, because Jesus taught it, 
But the, the idea of what Jesus is going to talk about next is perfect because once you go to the person that's offended you and you go with the heart to reconcile, there's one more thing that needs to be done after reconciliation. And I believe it's possibly the hardest thing to do in the Christian faith. Anybody want to take a guess what it is? What? Somebody said it. Say it louder. Forgiveness. Now, that is a terrible word, isn't it? Come on. Now, I want to be forgiven of all my offenses. If I ever offend you, please forgive me. But if you want my forgiveness, I'm going to have to ponder that for a little bit, right? I mean, because the forgiveness, if we really understand biblical forgiveness as we're going to today, it, it is very different than what we probably uh, think forgiveness is. And forgiveness is very, very difficult because when somebody's hurt you, whether you want to admit it, I know you're in church, so let's just be really honest, whether you want to admit it or not, there's a part of you that's still angry. And you feel like, hey, if I forgive that person, am I minimalizing the offense that they've committed against me, right? Or if, or if that person has truly hurt me and, and I forgive that person, am I basically just letting them off the hook? Where's justice in all this? Because they hurt me, I want them to know they've hurt me. I want them to wallow in the fact they've hurt me. And I want them to hurt because I hurt. Can we, can we be honest this morning? Forgiveness is hard, isn't it? But yet it's a mandate of Jesus. Because listen, everyone in the room has been hurt by somebody. And we need to first follow the steps of going to confront with the goal to reconcile. And then the next thing we must do is we must forgive. Now, we're going to unpack a very powerful passage of Scripture. So you have your Bibles. Matthew 18 is where we're going to be. And today, instead of me giving you several just points to fill in the, the gaps, I want to just walk through this passage, and then we're going to get to a couple of things I want you to write down. In Matthew 18, Jesus goes on from this, this parable about going to your brother that sinned against you, and then he goes into verse 21. And Peter asks a very unique question here. Verse 21 of Matthew 18 says this. Then Peter came up and said to him, talking to Jesus, Lord, how often then will my brother, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. Now let's talk about that for a minute. Now when you look at that and read what Peter said, do you feel like what Peter said was generous or selfish? Yeah, see it was actually a very, see I look at that and go, that dude's pretty shallow. I mean seven times? I mean, you may have been offended by someone seven times in a day. I mean, so it's like, that's not very generous. But according to the custom of the time, seven was a very generous number. Now, here's the question that Peter's really asking. How many a times can a person offend me? And how many times is it reasonable after they've offended me to, for me to forgive them? What is the reasonable number, Jesus, of times I should forgive a person. That's what he's asking. Now, seven was a, was a very generous number. According to rabbinical tradition of the day, meaning the rabbis of the day, what they taught was three times. You forgive someone three times. If they offend you the fourth time, you don't forgive them anymore. So Peter takes that rabbinical tradition and goes, okay, let's double it plus one, seven. I mean, that's like, I've just doubled what the rabbis are teaching in the temple. I mean, I've like gone from, from kind of hardcore line to being over generous. Let's forgive people seven times. Jesus, is, if someone offends me, if I kind of count them, their offense, and I forgive them seven times, is that a reasonable number? Now, we don't really ask that question, but we sure do live that way sometimes, right? Someone's hurt you, you forgave them. They hurt you again. There's a point where I, I'm just done with you. Well, that's not what we're talking about today. He says, Jesus, what is the reasonable number of times I should forgive? Seven's got to be great because it's double plus one of what the Pharisees taught. And then Jesus says something very powerful, verse 22. Look with me here. He says this, and Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, 
but 77 times. So it's not just seven times, it's 70 times seven. Now, anybody know mathematically what that is? That's not what he's talking about, right? But it is 490, right? See, I'm the, I'm the linear thinker. I'm going, okay, I got my chart. I'm a, I'm a list guy. So I got my chart. And so right here, Jason Belcher, right there, number one. Jason Belcher, and I've got a list of 490 check marks right there. So every time he offends me, I forgive him. So when I get to 491, done with you, right? See, that's how many of us think. But that's not the point of what Jesus is saying. He wasn't giving a number for them to go, oh, 490 times? The point is this, is there is not a number of times that's reasonable forgive a person. We forgive people all the time. There's not a number. His point was, there's not a checklist you've got to have. There's not a spreadsheet, an Excel document that you've got to have with somebody's name with all these things that you put down and say, okay, they've offended me here, 491. I'm no longer to forgive them. The goal is not to make a checklist. The goal is for us to have a heart to forgive people. So he gives this astronomical number Not to tell them a number of times to check off a list, but to say that what's reasonable to forgive someone is every time. Every time. Now, isn't that where it gets really tough? When you're called to forgive someone every time they offend you? Because when they offend me a lot, I mean, there's a point where you really begin to wrestle with a lot of things. But Jesus says, listen, it's not about a number, Peter. I just want you to have a heart, no matter how many times they offend you, I want you to have a heart to forgive them. And then Jesus does what Jesus only can do. He tells a parable. He tells a parable, and in this parable, he tells us two very valuable things. The first thing he tells us this, we're going to get to. He tells us the truth about forgiveness. What is real forgiveness? Look with me in the parable. He says this in verse 23. Verse 23, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. Now, just pause right there for a minute. What Jesus is saying is something that was very understandable in the day. That when Jesus is talking to Peter and whomever else is listening, that there was a time every year that the king would find out everybody who owed him money or everybody who owed him anything, and the king would call people in one by one and tell them to pay their debt. Whatever you owe me, it's time to pay up. Right now, not next week. There's not a financing. I mean, we're not financing this bad boy. You've got to pay me what you owe in full right now or there's consequences. This is not something Jesus made up. This was a custom of the day. And look with me at the very next verse, verse 24. It says this, and when he began to settle, in other words, when he began to call people in, one day one guy was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. So this king one day was going to settle up all these accounts. And this one guy brought to him, owed him 10,000 talents. Now, I've heard many, 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 many messages on this passage. And always I've heard pastors try to help us understand 10,000 talents and modern-day money. What does that look like? Well, I'm just going to tell you up front, I don't know. I know it probably somewhere in the millions of dollars, but that's not the point that Jesus is making here. 10,000, you might want to write this down. This is just good information. 10,000 was the highest number in the mathematical system in the known world right then when Jesus lived. 10,000, highest number. And talents was not, a, was not a currency. Talent was a scale. It's what, if you had, had 10,000 pieces of gold that equaled a certain amount, that was a talent. So the point that Jesus is saying is, this guy, is not about he owed him millions of dollars, and in today's terms, that would be millions. No, no, no. What he's saying is, the highest number you can imagine on a scale with the most precious currency you can imagine, that's what this guy owed the king. 
Now think about that. The highest number that we could ever think of with the greatest currency, which would be gold, on a scale with the most amount of talents you can imagine, that's the debt this guy owed the king. In other words, this guy owed the king everything, right? Everything. Now, when I started studying this and I started unpacking that, here was the conclusion I came to. He will never, ever, ever, ever be able to pay that debt back. Can you think about the highest number? That, I don't even know what the biggest number is. All I know is as it relates to my checking account, which is not that much. So I don't even know what the highest number is. But I mean, if you were that mathematician and go, well, we've got Google's number or whatever that is, and you could take that number and you could say, here's the highest number we know. Here's the greatest currency, the greatest number of talents. And we could say, that's what we would owe a king. That's what this guy owed, meaning we owe him everything. And this king had to have known there's no way. When I read this story, I thought, there is no way this guy is going to pay back what he owes. Look with me in verse 25. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payments to be made. So he was going to sell all of them into slavery. So this king recognized that this guy can't pay me back and he's not going to pay me back. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to cut my, I'm going to cut my cost. I mean, I'm just going to, I'm going to cut ties and I'm just going to, I'm going to kind of sell them into slavery and whatever I can get out of them, I'm going to cut my losses and I'm going to get what I can out of them, right? If you're a king, wouldn't that make sense to you? If this guy owes you everything, I mean, the number he owes you is unimaginable, right? And we don't know how this guy got to that kind of debt. Jesus doesn't tell us that, but this guy owes everything. We can't imagine the dollar. Can you imagine if our highest number was say $1 billion, which it's not? Can you imagine owing that much to somebody? And you realize that you've got to spend the rest of your life paying for it. Can you imagine that? This guy owed the king everything, and the king knew he's not going to pay it. There's no way this guy can pay this thing back. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to cut my losses. I'm going to put him into slavery, his wife into slavery, his kids into slavery, and just get what I can out of them and move forward. And then we have a moment, maybe one of those powerful moments in the Gospels. Here it is in verse 26. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring or begging him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. Now think about that. I will pay you everything. Well, there's no way this guy's going to pay everything because he can't pay everything, right? This guy has a debt that is impossible to pay back. But I want you to notice this. What is this guy's response when he finds out what he deserves? What he deserves is to be sold into slavery with his wife, his kids. What he deserves is for that king to get the money he can off of them and just move forward and send them into slavery. That's what he deserves. But what does he do? The Bible says he does what? He falls to his knees and he begs and begs and begs. Would you do that if you were him? If you stood before a king and you had a debt that you could not pay and would never be able to pay and he's going to cast you off into slavery, would you fall on your knees and would you beg in front of that king? Lord, would you have, would you have mercy on me? That's what he was begging for. That's what this guy was doing. He had no way to pay it back, but he still found himself begging for mercy. And then here we go. Another powerful moment, verse 27. And this is where we're going to camp for a moment. And out of pity or compassion, you can throw that word in there, for him, the master of the servant, released him and forgave him the debt. Now, I want you to think with me. Here's a king who has a servant who owes him everything. In fact, he owes him more than anybody humanly could ever pay for. And it says the king had pity or compassion. 
Now, when we first started Matthew's gospel, I defined compassion. Hope you remember it. It's when sympathy and empathy lead to activity. That's compassion. When you sympathize and you empathize and it pushes you and motivates you to do something, that's compassion. And this king was motivated by compassion. And I want you to notice what this king did. This king did two things. Number one, it says he released him from his debt. It released him from his debt. Now, I find that very interesting because this king who's owed everything has released him, first of all, from his debt. Here's what that means. It means the king has decided, I'm not going to imprison you any longer. I'm not going to sell you off into slavery anymore. I'm releasing you of any obligation you have to be in prison or to be sold into slavery. Now, if the king had stopped there, that would be a huge picture of mercy, wouldn't it? Come on. Are you with me this morning? Wouldn't that be a huge picture of mercy? Yeah, it would. And the king had just stopped there and said, listen, I'm going to release you from your debt. I'm not going to throw you into prison. I'm not going to sell you into slavery. I just want you to spend the rest of your life paying back whatever you can pay back. That would be a huge step of mercy. But that's not where the king stopped. He not only released him from his debt, not throw him into prison, not send him into slavery. It says he also did what? What did he do? And he what? Forgave him. He forgave him. Now, let me just tell you what that word means. It means he wiped the slate clean. He considered his debt paid in full to never, ever leverage that debt over him again. Now, that's a level of grace I'm not sure I can comprehend. See, just saying I'm not going to throw you into slavery, I'm going to throw you into prison, I can look at that and go, man, what an act of mercy. What an act of grace. But then to take the next step and say, no, did I release them from the dead, I forgave his debt. I've wiped his slate clean. It's as if he never owed me a penny, is what the king did. He wiped his slate clean. He considered this terrible debt paid in full and to never leverage it again. Now, just look at me for a moment. Can you think of any other act of mercy and grace as great as that? How many of you would love your mortgage holders to say the same thing to you? You call in to pay it. Where you've got to pay it. And they go, oh, listen, bro, your debt's been paid in full. What kind of happy dance would you do? Right? It might embarrass yourself, right? Why? Because there's such, no, does that debt compare to the debt this guy had? No. See, it's here we learn what biblical forgiveness is, and I want you to write this down. True forgiveness is canceling the debt of our offenders. Did you hear me? It's canceling the debt of our offenders. Well, Doug, I need answers. No, you don't. Well, Doug, I need something returned. No, you don't. True forgiveness is releasing them and forgiving them of their debt and with a commitment to never leverage it over them again in the future. Now, let me tell you, most of us need to figure this thing out. Marriage. You ever had a disagreement with your spouse or dating? You ever had a disagreement with your spouse or the, your, the person you're dating? And they, something, you said some things, listen, come on. You said some things you shouldn't have said. Anybody ever been in that category? Only one person, come on. Bunch of liars. Liars will repent later, right? <laughs> Next week, we'll talk about liars do not enter the kingdom of heaven. But we'll come back to that. You say something, okay, let me, let me reward it. How many of you have a spouse who one time said something that should never come out of their mouth? There we go. Now I'm getting some truth, right? Now, here's the thing. When you say something that you shouldn't have said, 
And then you say, I forgive you. And you move on. And then six months down the road, something happens. And you hear this. But do you remember when? Now, let me just ask a question. Have we all, have we all done that? Yes, you may have done it on the way to church today. But listen, hear me. You never really forgave them. Anytime we go back and grab the past and bring it to the present, you never forgave them for the past. See, that's a hard problem for you. Well, you, Doug, you just don't know. He's, he's an idiot, Doug. No, no, it doesn't matter. When you say you've forgiven someone, what you're saying is biblically, if you're going to do this Jesus' way, when we say we forgive someone biblically, what we're saying is, I have released you and I have canceled your debt and I will never leverage it against you ever in the future. That's forgiveness. Now, that's a little bit different than the way we like forgiveness to be, right? We want forgiveness to be that momentary, hey, I forgive you, but I'm going to bring it up from the past to get what I want in the present. See, here we learn what true forgiveness is. It's canceling the debt of an offender. Canceling the debt. Releasing them. And never leveraging it over them again. That's forgiveness. Some of you might need to write that definition down and take it home and just ponder it. Because that's different than how we want to forgive. Now, it's interesting here. If you think about it, isn't that a beautiful picture of how God forgives us? This story, this parable? Isn't that a beautiful picture? I mean, think about this. Because we are sinners, we owe a debt we will never pay back, right? Because of our sin. And let me, ask, let me just ask you, have you sinned more than 490 times? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And maybe today, right? Maybe tonight. But listen, here's the deal. Our sin causes us to have a debt we will never pay back. And our king, King Jesus, you know what we deserve? Condemnation. We deserve not necessarily prison and being sold in slavery, but we deserve eternity apart from him. But rather than condemning us, he chose to show us mercy. Romans 5, 8, one of my favorite verses, that God demonstrated his love in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In the midst of our rebellion, in the midst of our sinfulness, in the midst of our unfaithfulness, Jesus died for us. He didn't condemn us. He showed us mercy. And when we cry out and beg for his forgiveness and beg for his salvation, he has compassion on us. He hears us and he looks at our debt and he considers it paid in full. Not because of what we've done, but because we put our faith in what he did for us. Amen? Now see, some of us have received that this morning. Some of us have had that experience in our lives where we've understood the magnitude of our sin and we've put our faith in Christ and we know today, and listen, the reason we should sing and celebrate is because I've been forgiven. My debt has been paid in full. I will stand before a holy God one day, forgiven, paid in full, accepted as an adopted child of God. And I am proud of that. How about you? Not based on my merit, but what Jesus did for me. And then there may be some of you here today that you need to hear this truth that you have a sin debt that you will never pay back. You'll never be good enough. You'll never give enough money. You will never serve enough to pay him back. For the wages of sin is death. And even death, you can't pay him back. What we deserve is eternal separation. But God showed mercy, sending his only son to down a cross that for whoever would cry out to him, to seek forgiveness and salvation, he would show them compassion, forgive them, and mark their debt paid in full. And if you've never trusted him today, in just a few moments, you're going to have that opportunity. 
So it's in this passage here we learn what true forgiveness is. And then Jesus moves on, and it gets worse from there. In this next part of the passage, we're reminded the truth about an unforgiving heart. Look with me in verse 28. It says this. Verse 28. But when the, serv- the same servant went out, he found one of his, hun- his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, which in comparison is pocket change. Can we just say that? It's minuscule compared to what he owed. He owed him a hundred denarii, and he's seizing him. He began to what? Choke him out. This is like a UFC fight, right? He began to choke him out saying, pay what you owe. So here's a guy who's been forgiven an unimaginable debt. And he goes out to a guy who owes him almost nothing. And he chokes him and treats him harshly and demands him pay his debt back. Or he's going to have him thrown into prison. Now just walk with me for a moment. How absurd is this? I know it's a parable, but how absurd would this be if this really happened? Come on, how absurd is that? Pretty big? Listen to me. Isn't it equally absurd when we say that we've been forgiven by God but choose not to forgive other people? In fact, we're going to find a minute. Jesus' words for that might alarm all of us. But he says forgiveness here. I mean, here's the the thing about unforgiving heart. The one who was forgiven totally was unwilling to forgive. And look with me in verse 29. We have a powerful moment here as well. Verse 29 says this. So his fellow servant, the one he's choking, after he got done choking, I guess, fell down and he pleaded with him, have patience on me, and I will pay you. Have we just heard this before? This is the same thing he said, right? Now, I guess he got to let him out of the chokehold, and the guy fell to his knees, and he begs for mercy. Now, this is a defining moment in this guy's life. I have just begged for mercy, and the king has forgiven me an unimaginable, impossible to pay back debt. Here's a guy who I wanted my money back, and now he's begging me for mercy. Now, this guy has a choice to make. Look at the choice he makes. Here it is, verse 29, or verse 30. He refused, and he went, and he put him into prison until he should pay the debt. Now, think about how sad that is. A guy who's been forgiven unimaginable debt is unwilling to forgive a minuscule debt, and he threw the guy into prison. And then it's this next three verses that we learn out about the truth of someone who has an unforgiving heart. Look at me in verse 31. Here it is. Verse 31 through 34 says this. When his fellow servants saw what this had taken place, they were greatly distressed, no doubt, right? And they went and they reported to their master, the king, and all that had taken place. Then the master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailer until he should pay all his debt. So this guy that went out and was not willing to forgive, word got back to the king. Word got back to the master. And the master had him seized. He brought before him. He rebuked him. And he took away that which he'd given him. And he was going to put him in prison for the rest of his life. Why? Because this guy was unwilling to forgive a tiny, tiny debt. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. See, some of you can look at that passage because let me, let me just tell you what Jesus said. You don't have to turn there, but Jesus believes that, that forgiveness is a big deal because if you remember back in Matthew in chapter 6, we talked about the Lord's Prayer. And Jesus says when you pray, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The kingdom come, that will be done. Our earth is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we what? Forgive our debtors. And then he finishes the prayer and then he comes back to one topic that he mentioned in the prayer and it was forgiveness. Look what he says here about forgiveness. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly will also, Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, 
neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Now, I want you to go back there, chapter 6, verse 14 to 15, and circle that bad boy and think about what are the implications of this. See, some of you might look at that and go, okay, are you saying, Doug, that if I've been forgiven by Jesus and I know my sins are washed clean and I choose not to forgive people, he's going to take my salvation away? That's not what he's saying at all. What he's saying is, if you choose not to forgive others and yet you claim to be been forgiven by him, you've never truly ever been forgiven. You've never truly received the forgiveness because when we truly receive the forgiveness that is offered us, we have a heart compelled and desires, even though it's hard, even though it's tough, to go and to forgive other people. Now, I want you to hear me this morning. If you're here this morning, you say, you know what? I know I've been forgiven, but there's no way I'm going to forgive that person. Here's what Jesus would say to you. Then you've never really experienced true forgiveness. Now, is he saying that you're not saved? Or do you say, Doug, are you saying that he's saying I'm not saved? No, I'm not saying that at all. I think Jesus is saying that. That if we claim to be forgiven and have a heart unwilling to forgive, I'm talking about a definitive, there's no way I'm forgiving them. Then you've never received forgiveness. See, when I realize the weight of my sin and that I'm wretched and I'm pitiful and I'm just a messed up dude and that Jesus forgave me despite my, where I've been and where I've done, that he's forgiven me for that. And I understand the forgiveness that I've received. Listen, even though it's hard when people hurt you, isn't there something inside of you that knows and compels you that you ought to forgive them the way that you've been forgiven? Yes. And then Jesus kind of in verse 35 gives the point of the whole parable. He says this in verse 35. So also my heavenly father will do every one of you, do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. In other words, if you're truly forgiven, forgive as you've been forgiven. Did you hear me? Forgive as you've been forgiven. Now here's what I just want to talk to you for a moment because I know this is hard. Can I, can, I, can I be real honest today? Is that okay? Can I tell you something about my life? About four years ago, I was, I was, and only Sonia really knows this, there was somebody in my life that really, really hurt me. They said some things about me, not out and about, but to me, to, like to my face. And it was painful, and it was hurtful. I mean, I've never in my life ever thought about hitting another person until that day. I mean, I did. And then I thought, you know, I might hurt myself, so I didn't hit him. But I mean, it was like, I, I, some things were said, it was bad. Can I just say that? It was bad. To the point where it began to moving me so much, there was a season I would sit down with Sonia and go, maybe I just need to walk away from ministry. I can't keep doing this. I mean, this is over me. This is it. I mean, I'm struggling with this. Maybe I just need to walk away. Maybe I need to go flip burgers somewhere. I mean, because I, then I can clock in and clock out and I don't have to deal with this nonsense. I mean, there was just something. I mean, I was wrestling. Why? Because I hadn't forgiven him, right? And I want to be super honest. It was not until about a year and two months ago, in my heart, I truly forgave him. That's terrible. But I'm going to tell you, four years ago, this happened. And it took me three years and 10 months to truly sit down and go, I choose to cancel you that. Because listen, I, I, can, can I, man, I'm telling you, I'll be honest. I even prayed crazy prayers like, God, whatever you want to do to pay him back, I'm okay with that. I mean, because I've been hurt. He, listen, he said some things about me that made my wife fighting mad to me. And I hurt, but you know what? There came a moment a little over a year ago that I sat down and realized, you know what? This is stifling, not just my ministry. This is stifling my walk with the Lord. 
And I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not doing what I need to be doing. Maybe it was about 18 months ago. And I'm not doing anything to do. So I sit down one day in my office, and I read every verse there is on forgiveness. And I sit down there, and I knew that forgiveness was intentionally canceling his debt. And I took a piece of paper, and I wrote his name down. And I wrote everything I could think of he said to me. And then over the top, I got my big, fat, red magic marker, and I just wrote paid in full. I canceled his debt. And I wadded it up, and I shredded it so nobody could see it. I didn't want to find it. And for the first time in my life after that, one of the first times in my life, I really got the picture of true forgiveness. That's my story. So here's the thing for many of us. We say it's hard to forgive, Doug, and I know, it, I, I know it's hard to forgive. But here's the thing. When you think about forgiveness, some people go, you know, what is forgiveness? Listen, here's what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not minimizing the offense. They've hurt you. That's a real deal. Forgiveness is not removing the hurt. Only God can do that, and it takes time. Amen. And forgiveness, listen, forgiveness is not forgetting. Only God has that ability. And Jeremiah says, I will remember your wickedness no more. You're never going to forget. I, st- I can tell you today exactly what he said to me. I didn't forget. I forgave him, but I still haven't forgotten. So biblical forgiveness is not forgetting. It's not minimalizing the offense when you forgive them. And it's definitely not removing the hurt. Here's what forgiveness is. Please write this down. It is canceling their debt and refusing to leverage it over them anymore. It's canceling their debt and refusing to leverage it over them anymore. And there's some of you here today that do not have a relationship with Christ. You've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, and I just want to say this to you with a lot of love in my heart. You have a debt you will never pay back. And you say, well, I'm going to be a good person. The Bible says there's no one good. No, not one. Can't be good enough. Won't work. Can't give enough. Can't do anything enough. On your best day, in your best clothes, with your best attitude, you still fall way, way, way short. And what you deserve is that eternal separation. But today, what I'm telling you is offered is salvation. If you will cry out and beg for forgiveness and beg him to come into your life and save you and yield to his leadership and his lordship, he will come into your life and he will mark your debt paid in full. And your name will be written in the Lamb's book of life. And one day when God's calling row, he'll call your name. And say, good job, my faithful servant. And you'll be welcomed into his kingdom. And if you've never trusted him today, would you just simply pray and cry out for his forgiveness? Cry out for him to save you and change you. And he'll do that. And then if you're a believer in the room today, here's my question for you. Who do you need to forgive? We've all been hurt, haven't we? You see, some of you, I just messed you really up. Because some of you are like, I may need to go back to my childhood. Somebody that hurt me. I mean, I, I've got stories of my childhood, some things that happened. I mean, you may have to go back. You may have to go back to uh, way back, uh, uh, five years, 10, I don't know. You may have to go back and you may have to do some things. But who do you need to forgive today? What, where's that lack of forgiveness stifling your growth with the Lord? And you may say, well, Doug, you know, what, what if they never ask for forgiveness? It doesn't matter. Well, Doug, what if they don't know? It doesn't matter. See, here's what I've learned about forgiveness. Forgiveness was as much for me as it was the person I was forgiving them. Amen? See, it doesn't matter if they know. It doesn't matter if they didn't ask for it. We are obligated to forgive as we've been forgiven. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. At the very beginning of the service, I ask you to take your card, your welcome card. And I'm going to ask you to do something for me right now. I'm going to ask you in just a moment to close your eyes and bow your head. And I'm going to ask you to do two things. So right now, grab that welcome card. Pull it out. Hopefully every one of you filled it out, took a moment. Just grab that. If you, don't, if you can't find one, there's a, one in the chair in front of you. And we normally don't do this, but today's a big one. Today's a big one. This issue is a big one. 
And I want you to do things. Just everybody just bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. There's really just two things I want you to do this morning. Every head bowed and every eye closed. First of all, I just want you to pray. Just want you to pray. If you're here today and you need to trust Jesus as your Savior, and you need to make that declaration and cry out for forgiveness and cry out for salvation, do that right now. Say, Lord, I need you. I need you to come into my life. Forgive me my sin. Mark my debt paid in full today. Or if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, pray. Who do I need to forgive, Lord? Put their name on my heart. Many of you, that name already popped up. And Lord, how do I do that? Help me to truly cancel their debt to never leverage over them again. It may be a spouse that's hurt you. It may be a child. It may be a coworker. It may be a friend. It even one day could be your pastor. Who do you need to forgive today? And will you have the courage and the strength to do that? So first, I'm going to ask you in a moment. I'm going to pray for us, and I'm going to ask you to continue praying. And then I'm going to ask you to take that card, and on the back, write down your response. How are you going to respond today? And then later, the offering plate's going to pass. I just want you to throw it in there because, listen, for many of you that are brand new to the church, I just want to know you're here. If you accepted Christ, there's a place to mark on the back today. I gave my life to Christ. I want to follow up and encourage you. But if you're a believer today, when you put something down the back of that and you throw it in the offering basket, I'm just going to pray for you. I'm not going to put it on Facebook, what you put down. I just want to know how to pray for the body. Because if we're going to be a church that forgives, we're going to be a church that's blessed with people who need to know what forgiveness looks like. So I'm going to ask you to write down your response. I'm going to pray for us when I'm done. You continue to pray. You continue to write down that card. And then as you feel led, you jump in and join us as we celebrate the grace of God that we've received. Father, I love you. I thank you for today. I thank you for all that you do for us, Lord. And I pray today, Lord, for those who don't know you, for those who never trusted you as Savior, that right now in this moment, that they would say yes, that in this moment they would cry out and say, Lord, forgive me, save me. And that they would understand that when they made that declaration, that you say that for anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, that the moment they cry that out, the moment they surrender themselves to you, you wrote their name in the Lamb's Book of Life. You wrote, paid in full. And God, I pray for those who just made that decision. May they acknowledge it on that card. Or if they need to talk about it, I'll be here waiting for them. But God, today I also pray for our believers today. Those of us that say that we follow you that we would understand today that if, we, that if we're going to live the way you want us to, we need to forgive as we've been forgiven. And so, Lord, I pray that we would write down our response today. And, Lord, even as we write it down, as we sing, maybe we need to come to this altar. Maybe we need to come and just get on our knees before you and say, Lord, you're going to have to give me the strength. I can't do this on my own. Lord, would you move in our hearts today? Would you stir us only as you can? And then once you move, Lord, may we celebrate your grace this morning. Lord, we love you. And we thank you for all that you do for us. For it's in your precious and your powerful son's name we pray. Amen, amen. I'm gonna ask you to keep your head bowed and eyes closed the best you can. If you need to write, that's fine. But just pray. Write down your response. Then as you feel led, join and sing and celebrate the grace of God with us this morning.